Welcome to Freedom to Choose from Just As I Am Ministries, a nonprofit giving hope to those caught in the devastation of addiction or just overrun by a complicated life. In this series called Could It Be This Simple? The Way Out of Your Prison, you'll learn how the mind works, what motivates our choices, and find biblically-based keys to help your decision-making processes. Rich and Susan Kallenberg are a husband and wife team who found freedom over two decades ago from out-of-control lives of drug addiction and alcoholism. Now here's Rich and Susan on Freedom to Choose. Hello, everyone. My name is Rich Collenberg. And my name is Susan Collenberg. Welcome once again to Freedom to Choose and our series, Could It Be This Simple, The Way Out of Your Prison. And that title is also the title of the workbook. It's a free offer that we're giving out for um, this series of radio programs. And uh, we're sending them out all over the United States, as well as uh, we've sent um, several to Australia as well. And so if you'd like your copy... Um, we'll get one out to you. You can call our our phone number. It's 916-645-1297. Occasionally I'm there to answer, but it is um, a recording. Or you can go online at our website, and we have not only that, but we have tons of resources, our previous programming and um, our story and just all, all different kinds of, of um, resources there, and that's at justasiamministries.com. Yeah, and uh, we thank you guys for listening in, and we yes. thank you for uh, calling and in and your support, and uh, it's greatly appreciated. And uh, the book is really nice. Uh, it, it, just because we're giving it away don't mean it's cheap. It's no, really it nice is. book. It's, it's really nice, and it's got tons of fantastic information, Bibli- biblical, bi- biblically-based information. Yeah, and it's just what our ministry is doing for the for the uh, community, uh, the, you know, it's, it's just yeah, it's what fan- we do. Yeah, it's fantastic because um, you know it just seemed, you know, you're you've just been given so much that um, our desire for our ministry is just to turn around and to help other people pi- find freedom from one, from whatever issues in life that are, they're struggling with, whether they're addiction or um, depression or just life changes or whatever, whatever is. Um, keeps us bound in um, sin or sadness or misunderstandings. We just have been helped a lot along the way, and our desire is to help other people. Yeah, and I think I think if I was to describe the book in a nutshell, it is that basically what it does is it help us, helps us get the clutter out between us and God, really is what it does. It helps us to understand how our mind works, how love works, uh, counterfeits of love, how guilt works— how repentance works, and it just helps you get the clutter out uh, between you and God. Right, you know? and, and I like it because that kind of goes along with our title for this lesson, um, Restoring Order. Ultimately, I think that's what that that workbook does. Is it gives an avenue to restore order in your mind, in your emotions, and to have a reun- reunification with God on every single level that we have possible. So um, it's it's just a it's a it's a very good workbook. So you know, yeah, and us. cool. And uh, Susan, would you begin the program with a word of prayer, please? Yes, loving Father in heaven, we're so grateful that you are a God of restoration. That you, um, your whole goal is to bring us back into unity with you. And I just pray now that you will send your Spirit to guide 
um, our minds and our words that um, it that what we say and what we talk about helps to bring a, bring about the that restoration in in people that are listening. And we thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You know, we talked a little bit in the last program about uh, the things between us and God, and I think we talked about, you know, if this, the main thing between me and God is me, if I could just get me out of the way. And, and you know, one of the temptations to Eve was, ye shall be as God, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that we all want to do that. We all want to run the show. We all want to, you know, if everybody just act the way we want. And I started to break that down, and I realized my... From my perspective, in other words, the way that I've ground the lens that I look at life through, I've ground it so much to put me as self in the center of everything that everything I look at, everything that I do, I get it, get, it gains more torque, if you will. My motives gain more torque because I'm self-motivated in everything. And so I started looking at resentments and anger and fear and those mm-hmm. things, and I realized that my resentments are those things that didn't go according to my will in the past. Mm-hmm. And that my anger are those things that are not going according to my will in the present. Mm-hmm. And that my fears are that something may not go according to my will in the future. Right. See, once I've ground that lens to look at life through uh, a self-centered, everything is about me. Everything that's swirling around in this world is all about me. Once I've ground that lens and I'm looking through that, I can become really, really miserable because I can't control all that stuff. Right. And I think that the principles that you're talking about right now are really the principles of evolution. It's really the principle of survival of the fittest and what we think we need in order to survive. Mm-hmm. And, and if everybody's doing that, they're all trying to get for themselves. And that right there me- proves that evolution does not work because right. we'll all kill ourselves trying to save ourselves. Exactly. Yeah, and I find myself that, you know, and you see, go back to Eden again. Every time you have a question, go back to Eden. What did Adam do? He tried to save himself. He made a mistake mm-hmm. and he narks on the woman. Right. He's trying to save himself. Right. He got you know? the, he got the, supposedly got the spotlight off of him. Off of him and, and onto put her. put it onto the, yeah, the accountability onto somebody else. Right. And what do you do when you do that? You incur guilt and shame because. And, and you cause damage between relationships. Right. And there you go. And, and there's that clutter that we're talking about that can get between us and God. And how do we remove that clutter? And as long as self is in the center and as long as, as I'm worried about how is it going to affect me, then I'm going to have a problem because mm-hmm. uh, you, I, that once you, like I said, once you look through that lens for so long, you have a hard time thinking well, I, I think, about how other people are affected because you end up being, and, and religion can do that too. Well, and I think it, it's a hard time to even recognize that that's the lens that we're looking right, through. Right, because that's what we got. That's our perspective. Right. Well, from my perspective, it doesn't look good for me. Right. You know, and and, and then we're, we're not considering. So, I, so I'm going to do the things that I can to, to put things in place so that things do come about the way that I expect them yeah, to come about yeah. and then they don't and then we have resent we go through that cycle that you yeah. talked about earlier. I'll go I'll go along and I'll I'll manipulate people. I'll try to be really nice to them. Mm-hmm. 
so that they'll do what I want. And then when they don't do what I want, I'll be nicer to them. Mm-hmm. And then they still won't do what I want. And, it, and they'll be, they'll resent me because they'll know I'm only being, you know, and it's just this whole thing mm-hmm. that uh, of trying to get things, try to arrange the show, arrange all the actors, write the script, control everything. Ye shall be as gods. And you so know? I guess with, with this chapter or this program that we're talking about with restoring order, I guess it, you know, it's, it's like what Jesus said. You don't have to worry. No. About anything. All that stuff. Right. Because everything comes from him anyway. Yeah. So if there's I, nothing that you can create on your own. No. If I could just get that through my thick head, then I could let people be who they need to be. Right. Instead and of. We can be who we really we, are. Yeah. Instead of having to put on a, a face for every instance, it for every situation that we come up with, you know, whether. You know, we 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 all we're always changing the mask. Yeah, yep. Playing to, to the audience. Right. I, who do I ha- what do I have to act like in this room? Right. You know. Am I measuring up? Yeah. What do I need to do to measure up? Yeah. Now, those of you that aren't recovering addicts may not understand what we're talking about here, but this is this is how the addicted mind works. We we come to the realization that we we that we've put self in the center, and then you start to look and you see how messed up you really are mm-hmm. you know and I, I i see that i i look at everything and everything i see how does it affect me how is it going to affect me in long term in short term what is it gonna have what's mm-hmm. going to happen to me well and i think i think probably with um humanity that is a lot of how um we base our ex- our existence yeah you know, and it's because of that fear and that uncertainty that we face that, um, you know, the things that come in to shake our trust of God and, mm-hmm. you know, whether it be illness or loss or, um, you know, there's all kinds of things that can happen and that we um, can have the ability to shake our trust. And so we begin that cycle of fear and... Mm-hmm. And um, what if Jesus would have had that mindset? Ooh, I better not touch that leper. How would that affect me? Ooh, if I if I heal that paralytic, the Pharisees might get mad at me. How will that affect me? Right. Oh, or the Samaritan woman. I better yeah, not I'm speak talking with to her. Yeah, I better not talk to her. Because uh, what's not, everybody going to think if I do? Yeah, I better not let this woman anoint me because that's culturally not cool. Only the high priest is supposed to anoint the king. Right. And here Jesus is allowing a woman to do it. And see, all these things that he did that were not only culturally, but even they could point to the Bible and says, right here, you're not supposed to do that. And so Jesus, if he'd have went around saying, how's this going to affect me? The Bible would have been t- written totally different. Right. And we would have a different God that we'd be looking at. Right. But he didn't. He put himself in the backseat, put everybody else first constantly he was given he was told in in john 13 that he realized that all power in heaven and earth was given to him and he kneels down and he washes a dozen dirty pair of dirty feet and then he sits at the table with, with dirty, dirty feet. feet and so the thing is is that that's that's god is the ultimate servant you know yeah uh we we want to place ourselves at the top of the heap, and and Jesus said, "But that's not how it goes. That's not the principles in my universe." Um, to restore order is that it's going to be, um, you know, we're all going to be willing servants. Willing servants, yeah, friends, understanding friends. We're going to know what God's business is and what He wants from us, and we're going to participate, not worried about um, what's my reward in the end, but rather, how can I help somebody today? Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a story uh, in the book here, on, in the Restoring Order, um, and it's about Jane. Do you want to read that story sure. for us? 
In her 20s, Jane was an attractive blonde with a slim, slim build and blue eyes that seemed to emit a light of, her, of their own. She had grown up in a fairly typical middle-class home with two siblings, a cat, a dog, and both parents at home. Although she had suffered no abuse as the middle child, she often felt neglected. Regardless of her excellent grades, her model behavior, or her numerous awards at school, she concluded that she just wasn't good enough. Now in her early adult years, Jane struggled with chronic feelings of worthlessness. One of the most common problems facing many of, of Dr. Jane's patients is the sense of worthlessness. To help us understand how to cope with powerful feelings, we're going to take a, this example and examine it in the light of our understanding of God's hierarchy of the mind. The greatest mistake people can make when dealing with difficult feelings is that of accepting them as true. When most people feel worthless, they allow the feeling to take control of their thoughts, then imagine themselves in humiliating or demoralizing situations. The thoughts begin to flow, follow the influence of this feeling, and a torrent of negative ideas rush through their minds. How could I be so stupid? You ugly, good-for-nothing. What made you think that he would ever go out with you? You can't do anything right. Why bother? You know, and isn't that the way we go? You know, the negative feelings reinforce the feelings of worthlessness, which when nurtured, matured into well-trenched false belief. I mean, you know, you start thinking about, I I can go into a tailspin real quick with the old thought patterns that I had. And and, and this is 22 years removed from drug abuse. I could go into those old thought patterns and and start making those connections again, you know. those connections of worthlessness, of worthlessness because that's how we were kind of have trained ourselves growing up right by viewing things in the wrong lens we're looking through the long wrong lens right. yeah so with the false beliefs is firmly ingrained the mind begins to filter experiences through it experiences that support the distorted self-image get replayed repeatedly further strengthening the feeling and belief of worthlessness meanwhile the mind discounts and rejects positive experiences that should refute the false belief. Jane was living in such self-imposed mental anguish. She felt trapped and didn't know how to find the way out. Right. So, so the, the most powerful support of our worth can come when we ask this question. Who is Jesus Christ? And the answer is, of course, the Son of God. And how much is he worth? He's worth everything. He is priceless. Did he or did he not give his life for you? And it, yes, he did. Yes, he did. And, then, you know, this is evidence. It's not mere claims. Jesus didn't simply proclaim how much you're worth. He gave evidence. He sacrificed his life. Now your reason and conscience recognize the evidence demonstrating your great worth, but your feelings continue to inform you that you're worthless. And right in the middle between the two is the will. You have to decide. What will you choose to believe? The evidence is, or, or, or your feelings. And, and see... This, in recovery, there's all kinds of things that come up, and you have to look at them, and you have to decide whether they're fact or fiction. The things that happened in your life that causes you to feel worthless or or causes you to feel inadequate or whatever, and and you look at you bring them back up and you look at them at face value and say, you know what, I need to reject that just because so and so back then treated me this way said something about them, not me. Right. 
Well, and I think too, is when we're talking about restoring the order, I think we're going back to chapter two in the workbook where it talks about the hierarchy of the mind. The spiritual nature. Right. And the spiritual nature and really being being able to distinguish between feelings and 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 the evidence of things. And you know what? A lot of us have gone through life and the evidence is not so good. Right. But we can separate, um, you know, the our mistakes from the past and say, those are things that I've done. It doesn't make me who I am as a person. And be able to reevaluate our worth based on what Jesus says about us, not based on, you know, I mean, I have a wreckage of over 25 years in my life that if I stay with my feeling, if I look at that wreckage and I stew within that wreckage and allow my feelings to take over and, and to um, talk about my worth, then I'm not looking at the real evidence of what God is trying to, to say to me and the, the opportunity that I have to be restored. And it's only through a conscious effort, a conscious contact with God, and a conscious effort on my part to reject those feelings of worthlessness, to reject, um, you know, what I thought made me valuable, and then to really see what is truly valuable. Yeah, no, I like what you... Because my value doesn't come from inside me. No, no, God places it on you. And and see, is a person that's in stage four lung cancer any less valuable than someone that's not? Right. They've got a bad infection. See, and we're all infected with fear and selfishness, just some to some degree more than others. Right. But it doesn't change the value. We're valuable as a human being just because the infection in some is worse than others. And, you know, a lot of times, because we do work with a lot of different people in a lot of different areas of life, sometimes people just need to know that they are worth something. Yeah. That they have value. You know, there's a lot of people out there that are struggling day to day and don't, I mean, I'm sure we have a lot of listeners that are listening and, uh, you know, we want to assure you that you have value, mm-hmm. that regardless of what's going on in your life today, that God values you and that, um, uh, you know, the world looks upon us and maybe, you know, our, our feelings are not always based in reality. That We yeah. have to understand, we have to understand the God that we believe in and, and what his, you know, his, what he says about us and what our value is according to his will, not ours and our feelings. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I think of the women in prison where we go in there and the value that they have because a lot of times they, they don't feel like they have much value. And and to be honest with you folks, when Susan and I go to that prison, we get more out of uh, interacting with them than you can imagine because they have value. They uh, They are important to us. They mm-hmm. are part of our lives. And, and it's the interaction and it's the hearing their stories and the pain that they're in and understanding that we're all going through this pain and and that we can all help one another and that gives i mean it's therapy for me mm-hmm. to go in there right because that, our goal of going in there is that we can share the principles that we have learned so in changing our lives that they too can change their lives isn't that the goal when mm-hmm. you when you find someone who's struggling is you don't want to go and beat them down you want to try to uplift them and help them up to the next step, yeah. not, to, not to push them down further. Yeah, and I like to learn from them because some of Absolutely. them are very strong people in there, very strong people that have overcome a lot. Absolutely. And, and I'm very, you know, it just blows my mind the quality of, of, 
of people in our class that are, are really trying to make a go against all of all odds right. and are, are getting a closer and closer relationship with God as the, as time progresses. And mm-hmm. it's just really exciting to see. But it helps us to grow our faith as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. So. I think we're going to continue on with the, um, with the. Uh, oh, yeah. What about Jane in her case? What? Right. Uh, so she discovered that her feelings were of worthlessness were um, weren't because she because she thought that she her parents didn't value her. She believed that they were disappointed in her, and Jane, Jane drew her conclusions from her estimation of her parents' opinion, not from reality itself. Right. Right. See, that's what we're talking about. Right. When you base your estimation of your value on somebody else's opinion, their opinion says something about them. Right. Not you. Right. You know, and that, that, that's the thing, of course, we were always trying, me, it's Opie, I'm always trying to f- please other people. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not going to be able to act well enough to please everybody, right. but that's always been my my big issue, mm-hmm. you know, and if I could just get somebody to speak highly of me or someone to give me a pat on the back over here, then I would feel okay, and then if I felt okay, I would feel close to God because everything is well. Because everything felt right. Yeah, it's exactly. Those, those feelings, right? Yeah. Instead of the evidence. Yeah, so, the, you know, and so... Uh, to help her with this situation, and I'm going to drop down to this other story because we we're running out of time here. But Dr. Jennings proposed a simple uh, uh, thing for her to consider. He asked her if a hundred uh, if a hundred dollar bill he handed her would have any value or worth, and she said, "Yeah." When he said, "What if I crumpled it up into a wad?" and he said, "Would it be worth any less?" and she shook her head and suppose I threw it on the floor and stomped on it, got mud on it. Would it be worth any less? Again, she said no. Then he said, that's you. It doesn't matter if you've been crumpled, stomped on, gotten dirty in this life. Your worth has not changed. You see, feelings are extremely unreliable, and that's what we've been talking about. And they will always lead to destructive avenues if not first confirmed or rejected through a reasonable evaluation of the evidence. You know, and it'll always go back to that. Go back to those stories Go back to those stories about Jesus and and how he treated, how everybody was important to him. You know, the guy at the pool of Bethesda, you know, the guy that could, what did he do? He he drew his attention on that guy, the sickest guy in the place, Mm -hmm. the guy that couldn't get in the pool, that nobody would help. He'd been there, I don't know, 30-something years? Mm -hmm. God hones in on the guy that's the sickest. Well, and I, you know, so then you you stop and think about, well, what was Peter's experience? You know, yeah. here he had walked with Jesus yeah, for, what, three and a half years, and Jesus says, when you're converted. When you're converted. When you're you know. con- at the end of this thing, and, and um, so Jesus honed in on his sickness. Okay, so so did, did Peter love Jesus? Absolutely. He absolutely loved him. What was his problem? He probably loved himself more he than he loved Jesus. He loved himself more than Jesus. Right. And that's where we get into trouble. We put ourselves first. But Jesus said, no, lift everybody else up right. higher than feed, yourself. Feed my sheep. Feed, feed my, my sheep. Take care of them and you'll be taken care of. Right. Esteem others higher than yourselves. Always be worried about the other person. You know, and Peter, he tried to save himself in Gethsemane, tried to save himself once again at, uh, at the trial. At the trial. Mm-hmm. And you could see it. And then you could also see the devastation on where that got him, the brain damage. Right. That, it, that he incurred and the guilt. And now you can also see the guilt that was incurred by Judas by betraying him. And they both dealt with their guilt in two different ways. One went to the doctor. One went to the doctor. 
The other chose to handle it himself, right. to get out of pain the only way he knew, mm-hmm. and that was to take his own life. Just right. he wanted to get out of the pain. Right. Peter took his pain to the doctor. Didn't have to know what the, he didn't have to know all about how the mind, uh, you know, all the chemicals in the mind and the dopamine and the this and that. He didn't have to know all that stuff. All he needed to do was trust the doctor that the doctor was going to heal him and make him well. Mm-hmm. And all he had to do was follow the prescription, and that was feed my sheep. You know, all the demoniac had to do was follow the prescription. What was it? Go to the 10 cities and tell them what I did for you. You know, the prescription's real. The doctor's real. There's, there's, you know, it's, it's undeniable that, that he has never lost a patient that trusted him. The doctor has never lost a patient. So, you know, you got to ask yourself. I have to ask myself every day, do I want to be made well? Do I want to go through the process of healing with this doctor? I don't need to know the medical journal to be healed. I don't need to know the ins and outs. I just need to trust the person, Jesus Christ. He's the one. The the Bible, you know, there's the Bible testifies of the one who has the power. Right. And that's Jesus Christ. You know, and so I think of that. Now, if you want to get a hold of this book, give us a call, folks. 916-645-1297. It's a fun book to go through. And remember, folks, there's only two ways to live your life. One is like nothing is the miracle. The other is like everything is the miracle. And you have the freedom to choose. Thank you for listening to Freedom to Choose. There truly is hope for people whose lives might be overrun with hard decisions, possibly caught up in unhealthy relationships, or even imprisoned by some form of addiction. Rich and Susan are living testimonials that biblical principles do work, and they've put together a workbook with Dr. Timothy Jennings to move yourself or those you love towards freedom. If you would like to order this new workbook, called Could It Be This Simple? The Way Out of Your Prison. Please call 916-645-1297 or justasiamministries.com. As a nonprofit, they are supported by people like you. 916-645-1297 or justasiamministries.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you.